This is Keeping Current with Wayne Potter. Welcome to the Keeping Current Show. This is Wayne Potter, your host. This is the place where we talk about the ideas, issues, and trends that shape our everyday life. On this episode of Keeping Current, you'll have an opportunity to meet Martha Randolph. Martha is a well-spoken, well-educated political activist. She represents the more progressive side of the Democratic Party that is not afraid to be critical of the Hawaiian Democratic Party. During the first part of this episode, you'll learn about her personal political views. Following that, she'll talk about the Hawaiian Democratic Party's strengths and weaknesses. As you drive through Honolulu, you may find yourself raising questions about this beautiful land and the evidence of homelessness or the not-yet-completed light rail system and the need for moderately priced housing and more. So, her comments will stir the pot a bit more. Perhaps you could describe for me to start off with, uh, what are your current political views uh, regarding policies and so on and candidates, sort of a broad view of what that means to you? So we're not talking specifically about Hawaii at this point. You want a general understanding at this point, yes? About you. (laughs) Well, let's let's just uh, introduce myself that I am the child of acting parents, John Randolph and Sarah Cunningham, and was raised in New York City. And my parents uh, were always very liberal to the point of being accused of being communist during the blacklisting uh, periods of the 1950s. So I was raised to be very left-wing, but I associate that with everything progressive, everything that was positive, Um, from the 1950s through the 60s and 70s, movements for peace, movements for voting rights, movements for equality of all people, uh, especially African-Americans, which, of course, was the major issues of the 60s. And hopefully some kind of positive nonviolent relationship with those countries that were designated as communists, the Soviet Union and all of its satellites. Therefore, I would say I've always carried a certain liberalism, you might say, uh, forward with me as I grew older. I don't like the labels anymore because I have found many actions taken by people who would designate, designate themselves as liberal as being very impractical or politically naive, very eager to do something and push forward without thinking about the long-term results. However, I would classify myself as basically progressive, which seems to be a safer word at this point. Uh, At this time in American history, the more conservative forces have redefined political terms such as conservative, liberal, democratic, republican. There used to be a direct line you could measure and you would say, well, these people are reactionary. Reactionary is further right than conservative, and conservative is further right than Republican. And the same thing would go towards the left side. And that's not the case these days. The people who have been in office have tended to push what used to be considered more right-wing thinking into a more neutral place as being, um, you know, non, neither way, sort of nice and and in the medium. Uh, But that's for other people to decide. That's the general 
idea. Yeah. Okay. If you want to know about Hawaii specifically, Hawaii is a democratic state. I don't know enough about the political history to tell you when it definitely made that decision, but at least for as long as I've been here for 22 years, it's been solidly democratic. In the time I've been here, there has been one major Republican in office, and that was Linda Lingle, who was elected as governor of the state. Uh, she is Jewish, and she had done a very good job being mayor of, I believe, the county of Maui. And at that time, we had just gotten rid of a very questionable, I can't say corrupt because I wasn't here under his rule, but this was what was told to me. Uh, Benjamin Cayetano was, had a reputation for basically just having given a lot of contracts to his friends and that kind of government. He won his elections twice, but when his lieutenant governor ran uh, as a woman against Linda Lingle, she lost. Uh, that taught us a lesson, however. Ms. Lingle did not win two terms because she, at that time, um, she just began to swing very much in the Republican vein. Uh, we had a Republican president at the time, and she just began to do George Bush Jr. She would do whatever the party told her. And of course, George Bush Jr. was being basically handled by Rumsfeld and um, by his vice president, whose name, of course, escapes me in the middle of a lovely interview with you, but Cheney, Dick Cheney. So that pretty much was the end of it for Hawaii. They did not vote her in again. And it's been solid democratic ever since. I haven't seen a Republican that has a chance in heck of defeating a um, democratic candidate and for a major office. There are a few districts where a Republican may win a seat over a Democrat in the House of Representatives possibly in the state Senate, but we're talking six as opposed to all the rest or two as opposed to all the rest. So that's the situation in Hawaii at this time. Right. Now, so you've always really pretty much fitted into the liberal progressive movement of the Democratic Party. Wherever, were you ever challenged in, in a way in terms of the times to, to, to consider more conservative viewpoints and not become so liberal or progressive or uh no there's no question that i would support i haven't seen a single conservative viewpoint which i can support however i have seen progressives and liberals get so excited about an opportunity that they don't think in terms of practical politics or the long term um, I can say something very controversial now. Shall I do it for the amusement of yourself and your audience? All right. <laughs> okay. For example, uh, I do not believe that a Bar uh, Barack Obama should ever have been the Democratic candidate. He was too inexperienced in the federal government. He has, he's a wonderful man, a great speaker. He has something that the Democratic Party has lacked for a long time, which is 
a dynamic presence. Um, he was a, definitely a personality. And he began to make inroads. Unfortunately, the standard Democratic Party at the time um, was not supporting him, and they were confident they could get the public to vote for Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, I have great respect for. Uh, I think that was her time. She was bright enough, she was experienced enough, and she was not a naive politician. She knew the reality of the world they were dealing in after all her husband had been president. And in many cases, most people would tell you that they voted for him because of Hillary. All right. So she knew the kind of garbage she was getting into. Unfortunately, her team and the party leadership, the national party leadership, did not see the way the wind was blowing. And as a result, they did not get her and her people to have a sit down with Mr. Obama long before he hit Ohio and discuss with him a strategy that would have been a 16-year Democratic Party strategy of joining her as vice president, because when he got that offer, he had already proven that he had a lot of drive. So he didn't take it. He was advised not to take it. In that case, he was politically naive, and the people who supported him, who were very excited that in their lifetime they would see an African-American president. Wonderful idea. But they did not think about the counter-reaction to that. And the counter-reaction to that was Donald Trump and the right-wing white fascist government pushing we see happening now. That side has always been in America. Just as the liberal side is always there. There are good people in America, but this other strain has always been there. And basically, they had always kept their heads down. And then when an African-American got elected to the White House, and even his party did not support him fully, that those right-wing forces, those white supremacist forces, raised their heads and decided to go on the attack. Now, they did attack him all during the election. We know that. But... Everyone in America who wanted a positive, intelligent, thinking president. And it reminds me of the Kennedy years. I may have been young, but I remember the enthusiasm behind the Kennedy years. And they wanted that kind of president. They got that kind of president. He had two years of Democratic support, except that they really didn't support him. They did pretty much whatever they wanted to do. And then after that, Republicans and conservatives took over the House and the Congress, and we know the history. They basically stopped every single thing he wanted to do. And more importantly, they had a long game plan, which was to take over the Supreme Court. And as we can see, they succeeded in that. They succeeded in that because John Mitchell, not John Mitchell, excuse me, um, McConnell broke every protocol that has ever been used in the Senate before. Not the law, he, he stayed strictly within the realms of what he was allowed to do as the head of the Senate. But it had never been so that a president, a sitting president with more, just about a little bit less than a year to go, could not his nominee 
for the Supreme Court even vetted. That's never happened before. And the reason it never happened before is because each party knew that that could happen in the reverse. But at that point, the Republicans were very focused and very down that they were going to ram through as many people onto the Supreme Court as possible. And so they did not even let his candidate be vetted. I, I mean, I've never seen this before. And also he was able to get his party to do whatever he wanted, including stopping any kind of filibuster attempt, any kind of control by turning everybody into a majority only vote because the Republicans did exactly what he told them to. So you cannot afford to have a well-meaning, very bright, caring liberal in the Democratic Party running things without the willingness to see where he is or she is and to get as down and dirty as necessary to get through what has to be done. This is not a clean political system. It is very corrupt. It is very dirty. And it has been that way for as long as I can remember. It's just either more public or less public. Right now, it's very public and nobody seems to care. Well, switching back to Hawaii now, let's, uh, would you consider the, uh, the, the political system in, uh, in Hawaii to be not only democratically controlled, but having a supermajority? They only have to depend on themselves to get issues? Oh, done? yes. They definitely have a supermajority, which is one of the reasons why, for many years, the voting turnout has been lower and lower, because... Most people don't think it's worth it to vote because they figure the vote is pretty much a sure thing. And they don't seem to understand that they can make their voices heard most efficiently during the primaries, because during the primaries, you have a choice between different Democratic candidates. And that's when you can basically say to your sitting candidate, I don't like what you've been doing. I'm going to vote for your opponent. And up until recently, that's been not even barely an issue. However, since Hawaii introduced uh, the mail-in voting system, not I wouldn't say it's exclusive, but everybody gets a mail-in ballot. Now, people who want to vote in person can do so, and they can start voting early. They can take their mail-in ballots to a drop box if they feel that's safer. But ever since then, there's been a slight rise in the number of people voting. But I don't think it has any effective change in the makeup of the state, House, and Senate. Now, has this supermajority uh, particularly benefited the public of Hawaii in very special ways that would not have been uh, really permitted if there hadn't been a supermajority? Well, it, when you have a supermajority and it's been that way for such a long time, it's hard to tell. In my personal opinion, the Democratic Party, the people who are members of the party in many cases are much more conservative and much more what would have been normally considered your basic moderate Republican than anything else. But you know, these people are not stupid. If the only party that's going to win has the Democratic on it, that's the party they join. And they would have to do very aggressive things to be kicked out of the party. And in fact, 
the entire time I've been here, and I've heard this from people who've been in the party longer, there's never been a censure by the party as a whole or any effort to call a candidate or a sitting member who's been elected onto the floor for having basically gone in opposition against Democratic Party values, uh, either the local Democratic Party, our resolutions, our platforms, or even the National Party. They can pretty much get away with almost anything. This is Keeping Current, the place where we talk about the ideas, issues, and trends that shape your everyday life. For more information, you can turn to www.keepingcurrent.com. That's Keeping Current with two Ks. This is Wayne Potter, your host and show producer. And now, let's go back to our show. What have been some of the major achievements of the Democratic Party since it holds a majority of the seats in the House and Senate and uh, at the other levels of government? I don't know. I haven't been here long enough to decide what the achievement is. For me, the battle has always been between the more progressive side of the party and the more conservative side. The biggest problem here is that One of the side effects, and this is true for many states, I'm sure, when you have no term limits on sitting representatives or sitting senators in your state house, then they can build up long-term relationships with the business community, with fundraising, and they have very large election war chests. And in Hawaii particularly, there's a tendency to work with people they know, do favors for people. And whether it's because they're neighbors or friends or they went to high school with them or they went to college with them or just because they got a large donation, there doesn't seem to be a way to stop a pattern where many questionable decisions are made. And it takes a long time before anyone spots it. And even if they do, and even if it's protested, it doesn't necessarily get acted on. Uh, We've seen this, for example, with the rail system, which is currently being built. When it was proposed, uh, Abercrombie was governor. He'd left the federal side of the government. He became governor. um, And the feds were offering a very large sum of co-payment if we wanted to build a rail system. uh, The University of Hawaii had experts look into it, and they produced several very well-researched papers, and it was made public, on why that system would ultimately go way over cost projections, and that there were simpler ways to accomplish the same thing, which was to create a public uh, transport linking further away places with downtown and whatever. That was ignored, and several major candidates, including Abercrombie, pushed that through. And just as predicted, the company that was awarded the contract almost went declared bankruptcy almost immediately. They were an Italian company. Um, and it took a very long time to get it going. And then there were many contested options where people who didn't support the rail but had lost the vote. We, we had a vote on it. 
do you support the rail or not? And the people who did go out to vote voted to support it because they were convinced by others that that would happen. That would be a good thing. And this is even when they know that in other states where things like this were done, there had been massive cost overruns. And in Hawaii, there are always cost overruns because we have to have everything imported. And we didn't have any local uh, infrastructure that understood this. It was all going to have to come from somewhere else. So yes, it's gone into cost overruns repeatedly. It's taken much longer than it was supposed to. And even when it's done, there's a strong question in my mind as to how successful it's going to be because people may not want to take it and they don't have enough people that they've trained to upkeep the structure. So we'll see what happens. But that's the kind of thing that happens under a government that is, has a supermajority. They pretty much can do whatever they want to. Now, having a, a minority Republican Party for lengthy periods of time, have you uh, been experiencing in any way, shape, or form an increased amount of sort of Trumpian activity and outlook and threats and things of that nature? Is it changed? Recently, yes. I mean, I was much very surprised to discover that there is a small but very vocal group of people in Hawaii who are Trump supporters. We used to see them on the street waving their signs. Um, I don't know if this is people mostly who have come from the mainland and moved to Hawaii. Uh, there are some local people who believe Trump. They tend to be angry anyway because they find the whole system corrupt and against their local native Hawaiian interests. And I can't say that they're wrong. It's just that I've seen just as much co corruption from native Hawaiian uh, businesses and industries as I have from those operated from the mainland. There's not a greater integrity at all. And the Hawaiian Homelands Group, which was designed to help Hawaiians get homes and lands, has been so corrupt and so misrun for so long that, uh, and this is common knowledge, that there are people who have been waiting for a plot of land on which to build a home until they literally died of old age. So every time that kind of thing comes up, there's a big push, oh, we're going to change that. But I've yet to see any changes take place. Mm. And I know through personal interactions that it's a completely corrupt system because I knew someone whose father had been a chief of police he was Samoan and Hawaiian, and I know that he was able to get a plot of land to build a home on in very short order, and it was like he was pushed ahead because he had been a chief of police and he knew someone who knew someone, and I know when he passed and his daughter tried to get that lease renewed, she was faced with going to someone who had decided to give it to a neighbor and she was, of course, was not in a position of power or financially to, to give any kind of bribe, more overt or subtle. So I know that from a personal experience. So uh, are there any both inside or outside forces that are ever going to change the status quo? Um, as I said, all of the forces, there's not really outside. That is why I 
joined the party. I never was officially a Democrat. I would only join a party if it allowed me to participate in a primary election. In certain states, you don't have to be a member of a party. You can participate in their primary elections anyway. In some states, it's only if you're a party member. But um, it was when... It was back, I think, in 2016 that I first learned about how the Democratic Party here works with precincts and districts and district councils and caucuses and, um, you know, the, the, the SSC and all these meetings that you can have under the party hierarchy where you can actually propose legislation. And you can get that proposed legislation to a representative or a senator and encourage them to put it forward to be accepted. And to me, that was the most exciting thing I'd ever heard. I can actually participate with other people of like mind in trying to get things changed. Now, it's not an easy process. And all it takes is one senator or congressperson who is chair of any one committee to decide he doesn't want to have it read or she doesn't want to have it read, and it will die in a committee. But you can keep pushing. And that's how I became more involved in the party. And that's when I went to my first state convention and was the first time as a delegate and saw how the party was actually being run. So your recommendation then to anybody that would be listening to this recording or anybody that would by chance even begin to consider the future uh, within sort of the political stream, uh, your advice to them would be to get involved with their party or whether well, I would I would say, yeah, the people who are usually directly involved with the with the parties in their state are the ones who were raised in a political par uh, family and know about it, because many of the people who ultimately run for election go through the process of working through the party and making friends in the party and learning how the system works. Uh, different states may have different rules about how they have divided up the ground support, you know, the basic unit of support. And they may have a different form of convention or how things get done in the party because the national party sets forth certain ideals, but each state party has a right to write their own constitution. Um, the only principles that are consistent is that a state democratic party cannot take a stand in opposition to the principles of the national party, as far as I know. So if you haven't taken a civics course, if you don't really understand how the system works, you can't possibly use your vote in the most intelligent way. So I would say, yes, get involved with your local party and find out how it works. At this time in American history, the Republican Party is no longer what it traditionally was, even when it was more conservative. It has become controlled by an individual, very minority element who has been willing to give all conventions or illusions of democracy for the sake of remaining in power. So I'm pretty sure there are no right-wing Republicans listening to this discussion. <laughs> but if you think something's gone wrong in the party and you want to fix it, 
the only thing you can do from your level is join the party at that level and see what you can do. And that's pretty much all you can do. This is the way America is run. We're not actually a democracy. We're a democratic republic. And until you go to college and take a poli-sci course, you probably won't understand what that means. Hmm. So to wrap this sort of up, I, uh, I would say perhaps that uh, you've really gotten engaged and really, uh, has this been sort of an exciting long range experience for you? Has it been a challenge? How would you describe your emotional state in terms of all this? I wouldn't call it exciting. I feel that at this stage of my life, it's like an obligation, an obligation of who I am and what I can do and what I should do. Because there are many times when I feel like throwing up my hands and saying, oh, the hell with it. When the leadership goes in a certain direction or uh, the people who are actually been elected have a greater voice than the people who are ground level delegates who come to a convention, it alters every two years. And there are people who can win in positions of power who can then use that power to suppress the progressives in the party because they like the conservatives or anyone who wants to call out an elected representative as being questionable in their decisions. And they say, no, no, we have to support them. But the reality is the Democratic Party of Hawaii is not a rich party. And they are completely dependent on contributions by elected members of the party in office when it comes to things like putting together a convention or raising money for almost any event, even for paying the rent for the party uh, building. So this is the situation we're in. So I do this because I feel it's something I have to do. Well, Martha Randolph, you've been terrifically enlightening in terms of both your own personal experience and also describing what you see happening in the state of Hawaii, uh, some of which I'm sure applies equally so across the entire United States. I want to thank you so much for sharing that time with me. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Keeping Current. If you found this interview useful, you might also consider looking at other links to Hawaiian politics on the Keeping Current website at www.keepingcurrent.com, such as what are the top five issues in Hawaii. You can also find more about interviews dealing with social and political issues on SoundCloud. Look for Beyond the Rebel Girl, a story about the international workers of the world in the Northwest United States. Experiences in Cuba. Listen to Hannah Pick, who talked about her childhood friend Anne Frank and a life on a modern Israeli kibbutz. You can follow Keeping Current on SoundCloud, so you'll keep up with the latest topics of interest. This has been another edition of Keeping Current with Wayne Potter.